internal identity is like a thermostat sits on the wall, mm. right? Right now, there's a set, there's a thermostat set at 74 degrees in here. The external conditions don't dictate the temperature in this room. All of a sudden, you wake up six months later, like, what am I back at 74 degrees for? Because mm. it's the most powerful, invisible force in the world is to be consistent with the thoughts, beliefs, and concepts you hold to be most true about you. What makes the journey worth it? The pain, the adversity, the opposition, the challenges, the uncertainty. Why do I have to go through this? What's the lesson in this? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. The million dollar question I get every single day is you wouldn't change what happened to you, why? Serendipity, join us for insightful dialogues about not just successes, but about failures, opposition, adversities that shape and mold the individuals to who they are today. I'm Inky Johnson. This is Serendipity. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Serendipity with Inky Johnson. Uh, today's guest, you know, he's a husband, he's a father, he's an entrepreneur, he's a global speaker, he's a best-selling author, Ed Milet. Can't wait for you guys to hear his insight, hear his wisdom, and he's awesome. My guy, how you doing, man? So good to see you. I am awesome. I'm better now that I'm with you. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. I'm great, man. You know, like you're one of my favorite people, man. You you changed my life again when I came out to see you in California. Like I believe our lives changed multiple times from multiple experiences. And when I came out to see you to do your podcast and just was able to be in your home, uh, you changed my life, man. So thank you for that. I just have to tell you, Inky, that's mutual. I've been, I've done hundreds of episodes. Nobody has made the type of impact on me you did. It's just you're, uh, you're such an anointed man, but your humility is so off the charts. And I, I'll never forget. I remember walking out to the van to meet you. You know, I just every single moment of it is really frozen in my mind. It made a huge impact on me as well. So I'm really blessed to be with you here today. Absolutely. And so we're going to get right into it. And man, you kind of subscribe to a similar uh, train of thought with this concept. And I want you to, to to elaborate on it a little bit. But we both believe that, you know, things don't happen to us. They happen for us. You know, what kind of got you into that frame of mind? Hindsight, you know, look, getting old and looking back. But actually, as a younger person, I started to realize a lot of these things that are happening to me are altering parts of my personality and my perspective on things that are serving me in the moments that I'm in now recently, you know, and it, by the way, it serves me to believe that so deeply when adversity hits. My dad passed away just a few months ago and he had cancer for years. I'm like, what is good about this cancer? How the heck is cancer happening to our family, yeah. you know, or, or for our family, not to us? And the truth is it really changed me. Like my whole perspective on what mattered, my own health, my own children, when the phone would ring, you know, before if I was busy, it was dad like, yeah, call him back. Now it's like, no, it's my dad, wow. you know, and it, it, it made my life become more simple and more peaceful. I've treated people with a little bit more patience that, that that times happen. And so there's been a lot of events in my life that if I look back on them, that's the case. But I find them the most productive and the most happy when I can believe that in the moment, even when evidence would say otherwise. And that served me big time, especially the last 15, 20 years of my life with kids and all the different things that happen in life. I'm convinced that that's a fact. Mm. And then I also believe God just doesn't give us anything that we're not capable of handling that's not going to grow us at least grow our spirit and soul in some way. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful, man. And like, it's so powerful because it forms a certain level of perspective about opposition and adversity. That's incredible. But one of, one of the parts of your story that I love, man, is McKinley boys home, 
right? Yeah. Because when I hear you speak about it, you know, I always think about the spirit, right? The action is one thing, but the spirit that often lies behind the action is something that's incredible. And so even when I was young, and like I shared with you, a coach pouring into my life when he didn't have to, just that spirit impacted me even to this day and how I live my life. Would you mind sharing the story behind McKinley Boys Home and what it means to you and your father yeah. and coming home talking to you about it? So I'm the same way about spirit. It's amazing you use that word. I mean, I was just using it today in another conversation, but my dad was an alcoholic and uh, got sober. So my dad had two lives. First 40, kind of shaky. Last 40 of his life, amazing. My dad goes to his first sobriety meeting, comes home. I'd finished college, unemployed, living on my dad's couch, eating out of his fridge. He was kind of starting to get sick of it. He goes, hey, I got you a job. And I'm like, a job? Well, what is it? As if I had all these options. He goes, you don't have any choice. Get your butt down to McKinley home for boys tomorrow morning. I'm like, what is this home? He goes, I don't know. Get down there. So I get down there. I walk in. They have no idea I'm coming. I'm like, hey, listen, I don't. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I'm, some guy's named Tim. They're like, we don't know a Tim. I start to leave and I go, well, I think he's an alcoholic because he was at a meeting with my dad. Last time. I go, oh, drunk Tim. Yeah, that's Cottage 8, you know. And then uh, I reluctantly walk into Cottage 8 and my existence as a human changed. Mm. It changed. I was an athlete prior to that, a little bit ego driven, pretty self-centered. And when I walked in at McKinley, all the boys are orphans. So my boys were all either, most of them were orphans. Some of them had incarcerated parents. Parents had molested them or they were dead. And my boys were all eight to 10 years old. And instantly, I walked in, they were getting ready for school, Inky, and all of them turned and looked at me like, who's the new guy? Mm. And in that moment, I saw their eyes. I think kids who come from any kind of dysfunction, we all have these eyes. We just want to be loved, cared for, believed in. Somebody show us how to live a little better. Absolutely. And my life changed. I became their father. I took them to school. We went trick or treat, and I was there when they opened presents. My life became about serving these kids and serving people. And I had this epiphany. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I love doing. And it never goes away. Like, I love it. And then as I started to work there longer, I'm like, check this out. Every human wants this, not just kids in an orphanage. Mm. Every grown human wants someone to love them, care for them, believe in them, show them how to live a little bit better. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing for a living ever since McKinley. It's what you do for a living. Mm. I just love people, care about them, believe in, but it altered me because I've, it's never ended where I've loved serving people. Mm. And I also, I think because they were so young, it gave me this confidence, like maybe I can help them. I don't know that otherwise I'd have thought I had anything to offer anybody. And that's what I would say to everybody listening to this or watching. It's like, you have something to offer humans, even if it's just your belief, your hope. Mm. You know, your love, it's a huge deal. On one hand, you can basically count in your life the people that have given you that gift of really feeling it. It's a coach that you had. It's a mom or a dad or a teacher. There aren't 50 of these people in any human being's life where you really feel it. So if you become that human in other people's lives, that's an extraordinary way to live. Yeah. And since that day, not every day, I have bad days, but like most days, that's my ambition. That's my hope for what I do. So for what we do here today. So yeah. McKinley turned my whole world around. That's beautiful, man. Like we do work here in the homeless shelters and just that impact that you're talking about and those eyes that you're talking about. Like I'll never forget our first time going in a shelter and we went in as a group and we were serving food and, you know, we had a guy with us cutting the kid's hair, had ladies with us doing the kid's hair and we got ready to leave. And I'll never forget, man, this kid walking over to me and it was a little girl and she grabbed my arm. And I looked at her, I was like, hey, is everything good? She was like, are you all coming back? 
And I was like, yeah, we're coming back. And she was like, no, are you all coming back? Because we see a lot of people, they come through and they serve us food, then they leave and they never come back. We had a great time, are you all coming back? And I was like, absolutely. And we've been going back ever since, but that's impacted me in several ways in my life, not just the service, but also as a husband, as a father. And so the thing that I wanna ask you, based upon that experience, like now entrepreneurship, business, right? You're one of the go-tos, right? worth over 400 million, sharp. When people see you speak, you know, it poses conviction, educational, you know, insightful. From that experience at the McKinley Boys home, how did that shape you now as a leader, entrepreneur, you know, you're having staff up under you? Like, how did that experience shape you now in the business world with the individual that you've become? In all candor, it altered me. And I'm going to tell you why. You can tell from listening to me and even looking at me. I think had that experience not happened, I'd have decided to be a leader by intimidation. Mm. I thought that was my go-to. In fact, a couple of coaches I had that I kind of responded well to were intimidators. You know those guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'd have, I think I'd have taken that model into my business life. You can't intimidate children like that, brother. They can't handle anymore. Mm-mm. And so it made me dig deep and find another part of myself that was a better expression of me the more true expression of me. That intimidator guy was a scared guy. Mm. That intimidator dude was fearful, insecure, lacked confidence. But giving me, the loving me, the caring me is a confident man. Mm. He's a faithful man. And um, and it altered me. And so I will tell you that I've approached every business. This is the truth. Mm. I have never, I, I, every business I've started, I've tried to make a profit. But it was never my outcome. My, my outcome was literally, you and I talked about this in speaking, like, hey, I was trying to get you. you got to focus more on profit. Remember we were <laughs> yeah. talking about that? Because you're so great at the gift of what you do. And it's true for me, too. I have started every business and I try, I really do, try to treat everybody with, hey, I love you. I believe in you. I think people rise to the standard that they believe you believe about them. Mm. And so I hold people very accountable, very disciplined. And I think that also speaks to, I believe in the standard in you. But I'm a huge recognition guy. I'm a huge reward guy. If I'm going to hold you super accountable to a high standard, when you hit it or exceed it, I'm going to love on you, care about you, believe in you. I'm sitting here right now. When we're done, here's what I'm doing today. Just to give you a little example. there in the, It's in this notepad here, right here. What I'm doing today is I'm writing letters to the children of some of the people who are doing outstanding work in my companies. Wow. And I want, I'm writing it to their children. Wow. Your mother, Laura, I just want you to know, Laura and uh, Laura and Marie, I want you to know how extraordinary your mother is. And I'm telling them about their mom. Wow. I want the children to get it. My hope is they read this and go, this is what mom does all day. Mm-hmm. This is where she goes up and goes up on their refrigerator. That's just a form of expression of the recognition, right? So it's things like that. I try to get creative that I learned all that at McKinley. I got to tell you last thing. First day there, little Raul, exactly like you at the shelter. Little Raul comes up to me. I'll never forget it. And he grabs me, he says, Mr. Ed, he didn't know that that's the name of an old horse on an old TV show. He says, he says, Mr. Ed, are you coming back tomorrow? Mm. And I think that's how you know you've made an impact in your businesses and your companies, everybody, in your team, in your family. Are you coming back tomorrow? They want you back. They want to get that feeling that you give them. It's a feeling, soul to soul. So it's changed me dramatically, brother, to be, be completely that's candid. Strong. That's strong. And like when... When people look at you, right, and you speak, right, you're charismatic, man, powerful, like in the spirit and the energy, it just comes, right? It's infectious, right? If you go and you hear Ed Milet speak, like you're going to leave feeling like you're ready to run through a brick wall, but also you're going to be challenged, you know, convicted. And I want to ask you, right, because when a person looks at you, they see strength. 
And so, like, I understand that persona, right, in terms of when a person looks at you, because people look at me and they're like, man, like, you went through adversity, your injury, you're so strong. And I'm like, no, I had my days, too, right? I got weaknesses, too. And so what would you say is probably one of your greatest strengths? And what would you say is probably one of your greatest weaknesses? One of my greatest strengths? Hmm. Uh, Empathy. Mm. So I'm a real vulnerable guy. If you do hear me speak, by the way, my favorite speaker is you. I've told you this. You're my favorite. <laughs> no. um, you're the best in the world. You and Eric Thomas are the best in the world. Um, but I I think it's my empathy. I try to show the vulnerability sides. I think it's kind of cool to look at a dude who you might think looks kind of physically strong or God gave a really deep voice. And he goes, hey, man, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't know everything. I don't have any all the answers. I I wish I was this entrepreneurial guru. I've got some clues. I've got some experience, but I've been wrong too, right? Mm. I think that vulnerability causes people to go, hey, I can connect with this guy. I'm going to let – that connection allows people to trust you to teach. I think I have to earn your trust to teach you, your trust to influence you. Mm. When you're a speaker, a communicator, a leader, a mom or a dad, people have to first trust you, Mm. that you do care, that you do love them, that you are vulnerable. Now it's like, all right, I will be – I will be vulnerable to you. I will surrender to you. And that, I think that's that's the key, you know, for me. That's a strength of mine is my empathy. My weakness, I would say, is um, it's either A, insecurity still, mm. lack of confidence in certain things, if I'm being honest, even at 50 years old, mm. and or um, lack of patience. Mm. I like things to happen quickly. I'm not a real patient guy. And some of the most beautiful things in my life have happened in God's time, not my time. Wow. And it's my ability to separate from outcome. So I think it's great to be goal oriented. I think it's great to do that. But I think I've become a little bit more standard and process oriented than I am just specifically about when something's going to happen. Because lots of extraordinary things, frankly, have happened later and better than I thought they would. So it's my lack of patience. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's powerful. And I agree, right, about being vulnerable, being transparent. That's powerful. But one of the ways you you've inspired me, like after I left you and I came back home, I remember telling my wife, like, man, when I walked in and we were talking in your your back deck and you could see literally like beach ocean. Right. You could see it. Right. And he, you were like, that's my wife down there. And she was walking with the puppies. And I was like, this is incredible. Like he's living it for real. But you talked about how intentional you were about it, right? You said, I didn't say I want to live on the beach. I want to live in Laguna Beach, right? I used to walk with my wife down this beach, right? And you talked about the mindset that helped that manifest. Could you talk a little bit about that and how, you know, for most people, they don't do that? You're right. Precision and specificity. Mm. So I've learned a lot about how the brain works over the years. You know, your brain cannot go on processing something that's vanilla, that's, that's generic. They need specifics. They need really precise information to help you go get it. So I am a, I'm psycho about exactly like say, Hey, I'm I, people say, Hey man, I'm getting in shape. I'm like, what does that mean? What's mm. the body fat? What's your BMI? What's your weight? Right? Like, what does that mean? Whatever it means you, what's your blood pressure? What's your mm. cholesterol? I don't care what it means. You need to give me something measurable, right? Like you guys, you, you speak to a lot of football teams, sports teams like I do. You go speak to Clemson, Dabo Sweeney's lot like, hey, we want to win some games this year. There's <laughs> a specific goal. Yeah. So I think most people just never get – I think there's a reason, too. If I'm not too specific and precise, nobody really knows whether I missed it or not. Mm, yeah, right? I think that's a little – that's a pain avoidance mechanism. I'm willing to get out there, stick my neck out, and say, listen, this is exactly what I want. Mm. And that way – you step into a space now where you're in a new space. It's almost like stepping into a new room. Now you furnish the room. Once mm. you are in the room, 
Your mind, your spirit, God, resources, energy goes to work on filling up that space with the proper equipment and furniture. That furniture is people, places, things, resources, connections. Yeah. If you don't step into a specific room, you can't fill it up. Mm. And so that's, I'm very, very crazy about that, about being very precise with what I want. And I see it over and over. I also think you have to learn, are you a visual person? Are you auditory? Are you kinesthetic, meaning touch? I'm a hyper-visual dude. I'm a hyper-visual dude. I got to see things. I got to look at things. I got to go, that's what I want. See it over and over. Mm. And the last thing is, our minds move towards what it's most familiar with. Mm. So if you're most familiar with your fears, your worries, your thoughts, all those concerns, you will move towards them. It's magnetic. Wow. But if you're repetitiously feeding yourself the precise things you want, your mind gravitates towards those things in that direction. So it's precision and repetition that's helped me achieve certain things. Precision and repetition. That's powerful, man. Like, and I remember when I was younger, right? Let's say if I was younger and I would have met the Ed Milet now, right? I would have thought to myself like, man, he had to always want to be this guy, right? I just used to think that way. But now that I've been living a little bit, you know, wife, kids, a few experiences under my belt. And the reason I started serendipity is because when people see people, I think one of the most common mistakes we make is thinking where we meet them is where they've always been. And so one might see you and think, man, Ed Milet, he's this guy like accomplished a lot, great, like incredible. But I understand that there's a journey to that, right? You've been through some things. You've experienced some things. Your upbringing wasn't the easiest upbringing. But you said something that, that's epic. It's legendary to me, right? Like I sent it to people in my neighborhood, my family. I was like, watch this. Like, this is it. You said, I'm the one. Every family got the one, right? Yes. Can you explain that concept? Like, that's powerful. That's one of the most powerful yeah. things I've ever heard, man. Well, I used to walk. That's true that this beach I live on, I would walk with my wife when we were kids. We lived nowhere near here, but we would drive down here. I was like, man, who are these people? Mm -hmm. <laughs> who are these houses? You know what I mean? Who are these? I don't know anybody like these people, right? And uh, what I found out is that, listen, if, if you don't come from a happy family or a rich family, a happy and rich family can come from you. Mm. And all these people, by and large, at some point in their life, did not come from a rich family. Mm. And then the one shows up and that one changes that family tree forever. It changes the spirit of that family. Yeah. And that's the one who says, you know what? This world's not going to have their thumb on us anymore. We're mm. not going to live like this anymore. Our family deserves what any family deserves. Safe school, education for our children, peace of mind. And one shows up and says, I will do the fighting now. Mm. I will fight. I'll take the arrows. I'll take the shots. I'll take the rejection because I love my family so much. I'm going to be the one. And in my family, I'm the one. I'm After all these damn mylets, one showed up and goes, I'm not smarter than the rest of them. I'm not better connected than the rest of them. I just decided our family doesn't live like this anymore. That's the end of that whole deal. Right? Oh, yeah. This trip is flipped. Mm. And anybody can do that at any time in their life. And by the way, it's usually choosing someone like me and you. Mm. You'd have met me when I was at 13, 14. You'd have seen a shy, very quiet, very introverted, no confidence, small, skinny, undersized. You, you never thought I was the one. Mm. Never. But you didn't know what was inside me. And by the way, I didn't even know what was inside me then. Mm. I didn't know. And I don't think you have to know all these things about yourself. But you do need to decide you're going to be the one. No doubt about that. <laughs> that is that's fire, man. That's it's fire. True. <laughs> and how um how important is 
is faith to you, just in terms of the, the concept of faith, like just believing? How important is that to you? It's the center. Mm. Um, I love the questions you ask. You're really good at this. Um, it's the center. I think a lot of people listen to say I'm a person of faith. What I do, I would challenge you on is one thing. Are you just like that person of faith on Sundays? Mm. Or like, you know, rough, when the food arrives at the table, you say the blessing. Okay, that's that's faith. But I'm amazed by how many people of faith drop God right before they walk into their business meeting mm. or the appointment or the speech. Mm. You know, all of a sudden now I'm alone. You either believe in a loving God who wants you to prosper, wants you to increase, who's with you all the time, who made you in his DNA. Mm. You come from the king of kings. You either believe that all the time or you don't believe that. Mm. And that part I did not struggle with, brother. Like I have always brought God with me into my speech, Mm. into the boardroom, into a sales meeting. I always pray, give me the words, Lord. Holy Spirit, give me the words. By the way, whatever your faith is, whatever the religion is, give me the comfort. Give me the grace. Give me the humility that I need to serve this room, to serve this family, whatever it might be. And so my number one business partner has been God my entire career. My wife is right there, number two, but number one in my life is, and by the way, I pray every night on my knees. Why do I do that? People say, why do you pray on your knees? Just makes me feel smaller. Just gives me a little bit more humility. But for me, I take God with me into my meetings. I take God with me into this podcast. No, no joke. Sat right here before we started 10 seconds to say, Lord, Bless the conversation with Inky, Likewise. please. Yep. Yeah, I know you do. Yep. And man, what comfort. You go, how, who is this man? It's like, you meet Inky, just so y'all know. He's the kindest, most humble, <laughs> man you will ever meet in your life. That's a fact. And then this dude walks on the stage. He turns into Superman. It's like, people say that to me too. It's like, who is, it's you, but it's a different expression of you, right? Like, it's just this, and I know you've had this experience too. Like, where in the world did those words just come from? Yeah. I didn't write that down. Yep. Right. That's the comfort of God, just bringing out the best in your spirit. And so I would just encourage everybody, man, God's with you in the boardroom. He's with you on your sales meeting. He's with you in the classroom. He's with you when you're taking that test. Don't drop him at the door. He's not just there when you're doing a blessing over the food or your Bible study. He's mm. everywhere. So it's been a big deal for me. That's strong, man. And what's one of the greatest lessons that you've learned, whether it be business or life through a situation or life experience? that you've kept with you, like that lesson that was like, mm, that was good, right? Now mm. I can apply that or keep that just as a reminder. Yeah, I, there's tons of them. Um, mm. I think one of them is like, I really struggle with learning how to get any type of self-confidence in my life. Mm. I always really struggle with it. And uh, it's really interesting. I had a history teacher in high school say to me, she goes, you know, Eddie, she was an older lady. She says, you know, Eddie, if you just start keeping the promises you make to you, you, you probably trust yourself a lot more. Wow. I, I said, I said, uh, what was that, Mrs. Hawkins? She said, if you just start keeping the promises you make to yourself, your life would get a lot easier. You know? And I've taken that time since then. So one of my biggest lessons is I just keep the prom. I try to keep the promises I make to myself. Self-confidence is the self-trust. Mm. It's building a reputation with yourself. And when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Mm. And that reputation I've built since about that time, most of the time, for the last 30 some odd years, I've kept most of the promises I make to me. And that's given me an internal confidence that I can trust me to do what I say I'm going to do. And that's probably one of the great lessons of my life because it just eluded me. I would watch these, even you, you you're such a great athlete, but I don't know. I would watch other guys. I'm like, why does this guy just have that thing? I don't have that thing. I want that. (laughs) <laughs> and as a business person, I developed it alone, quietly. I've got my faith, 
And then I've got this self-confidence thing. The faith gives me humility. The self-confidence thing gives me the ability to go execute. The best people I know have this nuance. I bet you agree with this. It's so fine line between tremendous self-confidence and humility. So I know a lot of people, a bunch of humility who don't have the confidence to deliver on their dreams. Mm -hmm. And I know a bunch of dudes with tons of confidence who don't have that humility to be coachable, to grow, to to admit mistakes. And eventually that gets them. That nuance, those two things is who I'd like to surround myself with. 100% agree. And so, Ed, man, I know you got to get to it. And so as I get ready to bring us to a close, um, with the current climate of the world, right, with what people are going through experiencing, whether it was last year with the pandemic happening and now, you know, people are going through trying to just figure it out, picking up the pieces, trying to put the puzzle back together. What would be some words that you would just offer to the world and to people just trying to, you know, get going on their journeys and figure out this opposition, adversity or challenges? I would say first, if you're feeling very helpless, get helpful. Mm. One of the antidotes to helplessness is just helpfulness. And you'd be surprised if the text message is someone you haven't reached out to in a while. All of a sudden, that energy starts to change you and you begin to believe you're worthy. You're never going to exceed what you believe you're worth in your life. Your internal identity is like a thermostat sits on the wall. Mm. Right. Right now, there's a set. There's a thermostat set at 74 degrees in here. The external conditions don't dictate the temperature in this room. It could be 50 degrees outside. This thing's going to heat it up to 74. If it's if it's if it's uh, 100 degrees outside, it'll cool this thing down to 74 degrees. Right? Mm. It's not the external conditions of your life. It's your internal thermostat. And so that's why in your life you've got it going before you got 100 degrees of money or faith or fitness. All of a sudden you wake up six months later, like what am I back at 74 degrees for? Because mm. it's the most powerful and visible force in the world is to be consistent with the thoughts, beliefs, and concepts you hold to be most true about you. And that's why that faith matters. That's why that self-confidence matters. Because when you inch up, and then by the way, okay, if that's true, Milet, how do I change this identity thing? Mm. I'll give you three things real quick. Okay, the holy trilogy of changing identity, everybody. Mm. Okay, faith, faith, intention, meaning giving yourself credit for your intentions. Let me just elaborate really quick, lastly. Not enough of you give yourself credit for being a good man or a good woman Mm. or intending to do good. A lot of my confidence comes from the fact that I may not have every answer. But I intend to help this person. I intend to make a difference. I didn't have any of the answers when I walked into McKinley Home for Boys. But I intended to help those boys. And I did an extraordinary job there because of my intentions. So two, you better start getting more credit for your intentions. And then third is association. you got to have four or five people around you who live at 100, 150 degrees of thermostat setting in the area you want. You want to, you're a 74 degree or in your faith? You better start hanging around 150 degrees of faith. You're a 74 degree or in your fitness, you better start hanging around people 140 degrees of fitness because they will heat you up by proximity somewhere in between you and them. <laughs> so it's 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 faith, intention, association can change your identity. That's what I would probably leave everybody with. <laughs> it's nothing else to be said, man. You guys see why I said this guy is incredible, man. You're powerful, brother. You know, I have nothing but love and respect and admiration for you, man. Thank you so much for your time. I know this is going to serve as a source of encouragement to a lot of people. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Blessings to you and your family, brother. (laughs) 